Welcome to the Boyd Meets World podcast. Today's guest is my Celtics plug out here in Massachusetts, Sam Schilling. Sam is a wealth of Celtics insight, and that was no different tonight as we talked about the Celtics' defensive slide over the last two games, how Game 5 might go, and played a little good cop, bad cop with uh, what happens to the Celtics, whether they win or lose this series against the Cavaliers. Enjoy it. All right, uh, I'm here with Sam Schilling, my Celtics, uh, my Celtics beat, I guess, from from down south in New Bedford. Still, Sam, how are we doing tonight? Hey, doing pretty well. Uh, doing well, despite the, uh, the 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 radical shift in in narratives between uh, what a what a two zero lead in a series looks like versus a two two tie, uh, and just a a uh, oh yeah, there's there's LeBron James again type revelation. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't buy in. I felt like this was a seven-game series uh, from the get-go. And I guess after the first two games, I kind of flipped it. I felt like the Cavs were going to, you know, and I kind of shifted allegiances. Um, I was thinking the Celtics. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit to be expected, I think. And, and, again, the old truism, like, you know, role players play better at home. We saw that. Um, you know, LeBron had some guys to lean on. Again, his play has been pretty steady. Um but, you know, again, this game five will be, you know, I, I kind of think it might be a little night and day. You know, Marcus Morris or uh, Jason Tatum get going, score 25, 30 points, and, you know, we're looking great. But I do think that's just kind of the echo chamber that's occurring right now with, yeah. uh, you know, the hot takes of, oh, <laughs> blow it up, or J.R. Smith is done, and, uh, you know. Right. And then all of a sudden they go home, get that home cooking, and, um they look like world beaters again, you know. Yeah, so. it's it's it is so hard um, as a fan to to kind of maintain perspective and not be a slave to the moment. But uh, it is it just seems like like we're kind of all there. I mean, l- like you basically said there is you know if I told you you know we're gonna we're gonna talk after game four and you know we say we're probably gonna be talking after two two, you know that sounds about right. And here we are doing that, but just the the way things have gone in the last two games versus the the first two it just feel it feels like an entirely different series than it than it really was when when you know if from 100 feet above you could distill this and be like oh there's still three games left and and mm-hmm. you know there's there's pieces to think the series might go either way so uh yeah we we are all just just leaves in the wind of of the hot take storm yeah yeah for sure and you know we got a three game series um in front of us got home court advantage um, but again, you know, it, it wouldn't have felt right in my mind. And again, I, uh, I know I'm, I'm unique in this probably as, you know, compared to some Celtics fans, but just, you know, the way the last four years have played out, uh, it felt like you, you almost, it wouldn't, it would have felt undeserved if all of a sudden, you know, we, we blew the Cavs out in game three and they folded the tents and all of a sudden we were sitting on our, you know, uh, sitting at home waiting for the Western conference finals to get finished. Just, just the way everything's played out. And I, and Again, LeBron James, you know, statistically he's getting there. You you see um, uh, where he at. I think he's the you know point leader in NBA playoff history now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's we're watching an all time great. You know, uh, you know, and Michael Jordan and LeBron James, or LeBron James and Michael Jordan. You know, yeah, it's they're, it's they're it's his neck, second so. second highest per of his uh, in his postseason history, um, dating back to to two thousand eight and two thousand nine when he was just throttling the Pistons back in the day so um yeah he he's playing an all-time level and and it's it's kind of easy to forget I I I don't know what it is but something about the the LeBron 40 point game it's just 
these are the most innocuous, like heroic, legendary performances ever. They they feel because it's it's just it's all poured over four quarters. Like it's it's not it doesn't feel like any any given barrage of like oh there's a 15 point run by LeBron. It's just it's just a constant like slow bleed of his of his skills throughout a game. Yeah, I'm. I mean, he and he always makes the right play you know occasionally he'll you know maybe force up a shot or you know have a mismatch and and make a little too challenging of a shot but oftentimes they're going in I mean he was 17 of 28 uh from the field but you know if you slough uh you know slough off your defender just a just a step you know he can send a laser uh cross court and find a guy you know in rhythm for a three-point shot or Mm -hmm. just you know every little all these little pocket passes with the right English on the ball and I mean he's it's you know it's watching somebody that's so masterful um, with his skills, but then also just so physically dominant. Occasionally, you know, he had, uh, earlier in the series had a great block on Aaron Baines, and then yesterday in the middle of that first quarter, which you know it, the first quarter ended up being the game, uh, you know, the 16-point lead that the Cavs took into the second quarter. But he made that great catch and transition in um, in traffic from Kevin Love on that great outlet pass. And oh. You just see like to match his physical dominance with his you know, shooting ability, um, and then feel for the game and passing. Um, I mean, it's, it's wild, you know, yeah. uh, he's amazing. Yeah, he, he really is. And, and it, it's hard to discern whether like this is his worst team since, you know, that, that he's made or that he's been on this finals run of, of what could be eight straight. And, um, you know, that, that might be true, but I th- also think he is playing his best basketball. So, so who knows how to, how to really, quantify those teams against each other um anyways let's let's go back to just a week ago and kind of give give folks a, a taste of what it was like to 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 be in the mind of of the collective sham, shamrock of of boston celtics fandom uh <laughs> last week this is a serious question in, in boston and, and i'm wondering is it still true the the question was do you even need Kyrie Her- Kyrie irving if you have terry rozier um and just a just a question that that went from eh, I don't know to are you are you out of your goddamn mind uh, a week later? Um, I don't think it's still true whatsoever. I think that Rozier is is has really blossomed this playoffs, uh, but has the the the, the flaws or or the, the outer limits of his game are are certainly present. Yeah, no, I I mean that was uh, it's funny how you know people that are fans of basketball but don't really want to talk about basketball possession to possession, mm-hmm. you know? It's, like, fun to hop on those, like, grand narrative trains. Um, which, again, you know, more people that are in the tent, like, it's... I like walking by people, you know, with, you know, Celtics hats on and, you know, saying how the game was. But, you know, a lot of people, like, the, the gameplay itself doesn't keep their attention, so it needs to be about, oh, and what we're going to do and who are we going to trade and can we get this draft pick or we can do this, which is, you know, I'm fine with, but for me there's a time and a place, and that's, like when the season ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, Terry's been awesome, but we're, you know, he looked he's looked pretty uh, kind of pedestrian, and then we're seeing, you know, the way he's getting picked on on defense a little. Um, and, you know, you know, he's he's exceeded expectations for sure, but I just don't think the way the roster is constructed is like we're going to have an opportunity to run it back um, with Gordon, with Kyrie, and then the only real question mark on this roster is going to be Marcus Smart. And then maybe, you know, if they can find, if they want to replace Aaron Baines or try to, uh, you know, get 
get a little uh, younger or find a you know veteran replacement that they can pay a little less. But mm-hmm. everybody else, I, I think they're going to run it back. Yeah, um, I think last year was the big. You know, we only returned four guys off that roster, and I think Brad Stevens really appreciates continuity. So I think those questions are you know a couple years out because you know Terry Rozier's still got one more year under that rookie contract, and and I think next year is going to be the experiment of can they coexist? Can Terry Rozier maybe be that? Um, you know, backup point guard, sixth man, because uh, he always has shown kind of shades of um, kind of, you know, those elite sixth men, Lou Williams, those explosive scores. Sure, that's a good uh, comp. You know, so, so again, yeah, to be, to be determined, but to me that's a, that's totally out of season. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, everything just kind of, you know, you give it enough time, it'll, it'll, the dust will, will, will fall on all that and kind of go back to where it's supposed to be. Um, one thing that, that it, I think it, it, exactly what you said. The grand narrative train does not allow for nuance in in Brad Stevens's coaching. Brad Stevens has has simultaneously been uh, he, he's either a genius and and just a, a boy wonder of of basketball basketball. You know, he's a basketball savant, or I, I guess it, it hasn't been that bad where it's all the way down to the bottom of that. But uh, but just kind of the ebbs and flows of is Brad Stevens a genius? Um, when I think if the answer is yes once, then it's kind of yes always. But uh, but it's just, it's just been funny to see how how those those types of things just pop up after two game leads and then and then they go away really quickly. Yeah, no, I mean it, it is funny to like follow the headlines and follow the hot takes and the Stephen A. Smiths and you know um, you know whatever it is because like all these guys have opinions and and, and they don't you know they I, I question sometimes whether even they watch you know the games in total. Uh, or, or they watch teams over time, mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah, to me is I think Brad you know makes mistakes uh, for sure. Sometimes he was scrambling. I think he got caught off guard in that game three loss, um, you know, and he just kind of had that look on his face, uh, you know, just I'm ready to get out of here, you know, yeah. like how do we tie this thing up? Um, and we saw like Greg Monroe make an early entrance. Uh, Gershon made a you know kind of a, they had a you know short shift. Um, you know, he's just kind of grasping at straws a little bit. He didn't know what to do. Um, got caught off guard. And now, uh, game three, I thought the effort was there. Um, and then, and, game, and game now it's defensively because they're kind of doing the, the treatment, the, the playoff basketball treatment on, uh, you know, Terry Rogier really. And it's like, how do you figure that out? You know, how do, how are you going to, um, minimize that or, mm-hmm. um, you know whether it's personnel moves or is it, uh, you know how you're attacking switches or not switching. Um, but again, I just it'll. I think that's the big question for Game Five moving forward. Yeah, I, th- I think we'll kind of cover cover all those questions as a result of of our next couple topics here. Um, but I think Stevens would tell you first and foremost that defensively. Uh, they need to play much better than they did in the first in the last two games. Um, they they were great in the first two games, had a defensive rating of of 93 over a course of 100 possessions. They're winning on the glass, um, which is hard to do against Cleveland when they're when they're playing how they want to play. Uh, in games one and game two, that defensive rating goes from 93 in the first two games to 113.5, and now you're you're getting toasted on the offensive glass uh, by Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, and and the like. So um, I think that that's that's kind of the answer here is that i mean obviously defense is a two-way street if one team's 
you know, shoot, hitting shots over you, it's going to make your defense defense look worse statistically. Um, but just knowing what what even kind of in the the cutaway scenes that they have with Brad Stevens talking to the team is you have to get up and shooters because if if that mm-hmm. Cleveland team starts hitting threes and hit, hitting jumpers, it is a much different ball game than than if you make them work. Because I honestly have not seen a team that is that is struggles more outside of LeBron James to hit layups uh, than Cleveland. Like Tristan Thompson is just lost as soon as he has to put the ball out of his hands unless it's going off the backboard. Uh, same with J.R. Smith, same with Jeff Green. Like it, It's ugly if you make them drive. Um, mm-hmm. Problem being, if you get up on, on all their shooters, now now LeBron has, has an entire key to run with. So how, how do you change defensively to, to account for what Cleveland does best and also, also kind of not forget about LeBron? Yeah, well, I think some of those, exactly what you're saying about the shooters, I think that was just... Um, they had been on the, like the worst end of their spectrum shooting the ball. Like they were missing wide open threes, all those, you know, uh, they were shooting way under what percentages would indicate they would hit on open three pointers and different things like that. So I think we developed some bad habits. So we weren't giving them like the JJ Redick treatment of, you know, just being running hip to hip, making sure everything was going. Cause you saw in that first quarter uh, yesterday, you know, George Hill, we went under a screen on George Hill. He just, you know, just a, a practice three-pointer. Um, J.R. Smith hit two three-pointers that we weren't, we just weren't, didn't contest, you know. And I think some of that is just bad habits because they hadn't been hitting those shots and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they do. So getting back to, okay, this is how we have to play those guys. And then making sure on LeBron uh, you know, staying out of early foul trouble. So Jalen Brown, Marcus Morris, those guys, it becomes a different game when you're trying to guard him with four fouls. That's just next to impossible because, you you know, you got to at least have that baseline physicality. Mm-hmm. And the last piece would be personnel to me where I think you need to play Terry Rozier a little differently. So I think I'd love – I really like the lineups with Marcus Smart – uh, Jason Tate or three of Jason Tatum, um, Marcus Morris, Jalen Brown, and Shemi Ojale, and then Al Horford or possibly Aaron Baines, kind of at that five position. So you got like all these switchable wings. Even Marcus Smart on LeBron James isn't the mismatch that Terry Rozier is, um, and play those guys for stretches, and then you know maybe with shorter bursts of Terry Rozier in between, so you can't get into these long you know, nine-minute stretches where it feels like every single time up the court, Terry Rozier's guy comes up, sets a screen for LeBron, and LeBron and Terry Rozier are on the ball, or you set an off-ball screen and Terry Rozier's guarding Kevin Love in the post, you know? Mm. So it's like they're really good, and that's when they had success, um, you know, in the, the year that they won the championship was finding a mismatch and going back to the well and going back to the well and going back to the well. And I think you got to disrupt – that a little bit so those would be like kind of my three yeah three moving forward makes perfect sense rosier is in a position where he's a he's a active defender but i mean there's just only so much you can do when the the freight train is looking straight at you and and you're one-on-one with lebron which which they will they will exploit anytime they they can because why not it's it's their best value add to to go at that um Mm -hmm. i think i think rosier is in a position where he he is clearly an important offensive player, and when the, when the Celtics need need you know people to hit shots, he's there. 
I think I think he is kind of now that you you said it about Lou Williams, he's kind of exactly what they exactly what they need him to be right now. It's more of a Lou Williams of of when you're in there, you you are there to create offense and to to score and and kind of as soon as LeBron takes those you know those four minute breaks per half, you know at the end of the end mm-hmm. of the first end of the end of the third, that's really when he can be fully activated and and kind of play in a in an unadulterated way just to just to just to play play without having to worry about getting attacked on defense um so yeah and i think and, go ahead. and that was where that was that four uh you know it was like two and a half three and a half minutes of the first quarter when lebron went out and the actually uh the Cavs second team was able to take it from and again i'm kind of you know from like a 10 point lead and stretch it to a 16 point lead and that was when, again, a lot of these plus minuses for the Celtics got skewed because Terry Rozier was off the court. Marcus Smart was running the point, um, and they just did not look good. And I feel like that would be a perfect time to stagger your shifts. So then Terry Rozier, kind of an instant offense, guy can go, af- go, go at it without having to worry about the defensive end of constantly being a target. And then I think when you do play him, you know, again, he played 39 minutes, and you know he's going to have a high minute total regardless. Mm-hmm. But if you could contract his time a little bit and have him you know picking up full court or doing something so at least when the Cavs get it into the half court um you know the the shot clock is maybe five seconds lower than it was previously so they don't have as much time to uh you know diagnose and just get that switch immediately but do some stuff where it's you know kind of relying on his energy mm-hmm. and then def- and definitely trying to utilize him when those those periods of time when uh, LeBron's off the court, so yeah, because uh, because when when LeBron is off the court, the 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 team that, that Cleveland has to throw out there to score is not going to be a strong defensive team because they, they can they can throw offensive liabilities on the floor with him, aka Tristan Thompson, um, because he he will make up for it. But as soon as he sits, they they have to attack that that type of team, and, and they did. I mean, you saw it more in the third quarter when LeBron sat, or at the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, than you did in the first quarter. I think I think the Celtics actually lost those minutes um, when LeBron sat in the end of the first quarter, which I, that yeah. may, or, may have been the ball game, just kind of depending on how you look at it from there. Uh, so yeah, it's it's kind of all about how you like the Celtics. I think have everything that they would possibly like as good as it could be. Uh, or they are much better positioned to, to beat the Cavs than other teams would be. It's just kind of when like what when are you playing these guys and how are you playing these guys like you're not you're not looking up and down that that bench uh in this series and be like man if we only had that guy we could we could play with them i don't think that's the case with boston i think that they're in a a good position to do it it's just kind of figuring out how all these pieces stack and and making it happen yeah no i i mean and then also it's just kind of that the funhouse mirror of you know home and away playoff games because Mm -hmm. Like all these, you know, strategizing, and then all of a sudden, let's say, you know, uh, Wednesday night, you know, Marcus Morris or Jason Tatum comes out and just, you know, on fire, just, you know, he has, you know, 12 first quarter points. You know, that's like an equally plausible uh, possibility. And then, you know, J.R. Smith and, and George Hill, you know, pull a disappearing act again. So, yeah. um, you, you know, there is some other peripheral factors you never want to get too high after a win or too low after a loss. But I definitely think that the Cavs, you know, kind of that meticulous playoff basketball, they're going to keep picking that scab of Terry Rozier being on the floor. And now it's like, all right, Brad, I know you, I believe you're a genius, but, you know, sh- show the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things when it it is such a such an opportunity for points that Cleveland's going to do it. But if you if you can find a counter to that, I don't know. I don't know what Cleveland's counter punches are. They don't have a whole lot of them other than just just sheer out talenting you. So um, yeah, these these next three games and and especially game five will be will be extremely interesting. Let's uh let's let's talk about game five a little bit. It will, is game five just as simple as as get some home cooking back and kind of these thin margins that 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 Cleveland executed and Boston didn't in the in these last two games. All of a sudden those flip and now now Boston's back up top because. To me, Game Two and Game Four were were extremely similar in how they started. Uh, they just had different results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that. I mean, I feel like they, you know, the the home the two game home series for each team played out very similarly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, one first game out, they kind of jumped, you know, jumped them. Looked like you know they put it in cruise control in about the third quarter, and then the second game was like you know. 10-point victory, fairly in control, but the other team was, you know, a little more uh, competitive and ready to go. Yeah, punchy. And I do think that these these games down the stretch, it does feel like it's shaping up for, um, you know, it's like they got each other in their sights. They've set the, uh, you know, trajectory, and now they're kind of locked into one another. So I do think they're going to be, you know, closer battles. I don't think a team is just not going to show up. I think that some of the confidence that the Cavs have gained – um, will be will transfer a little bit, um, but I mean it's just you know the the Celtics offense can look stagnant at times right now. Um, so I'd like to see you know some pick and roll with Marcus Smart, but then you know Al Horford has shown you know he can you know go off. Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown you know had 25 points, but he didn't always look you know kind of a slow start and pretty high volume 23 shots for him, um, but. Yes, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm expecting pretty, pretty high drama, but you know, competitive games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think both teams are kind of carrying different, different reasons to be optimistic about Game Five. Um, I mean, th- th- still, that's like easiest level. Boston did win three of the four quarters last night um, mm-hmm. and played well after after getting shellacked in the first. Um, and and so they have plenty of things to to see of like, wow, it, you know, they, they kind of discovered or rediscovered what they were doing to JJ Redick of just making, making Corver's life horrible on defense, posting him up with Jalen Brown and just beating him up a little bit um, and making Cleveland pay for putting him on the floor. I think that they Boston kind of rediscovered that, um, you know, they, they've, they've clearly, like we talked about with Rozier, like the, the, the ways Cleveland is beating them have been exposed. And then also Cleveland, all these role players have been activated. So now it's not just LeBron and, and you know whipping it around to four guys and hoping they do something. Um, so so the game five seems like it's it's shaping up to be the get best game of the series. Just in in that both teams are are kind of coming back towards the middle in in a lot of ways. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. I don't think there's going to be any more cakewalks. Yeah, hopefully not. I mean, we've seen between the two conference finals, we've just seen just seems like out of seven games we've seen we've seen just seven haymakers thrown and only one or two times has the has the the recipient of the haymaker stood up after that so we'll see yeah. what, what the uh the composition of these series is is yeah. and definitely out west here. i mean the rocket um i, I kind of we've, we've spoken about this indirectly basically but just this idea of of uh like why, why are we seeing these blowouts not not just in 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 this series but but it across 
the NBA playoffs. We're just seeing blowout after blowout. Um, are are we seeing a situation where if a team gets hit in the mouth and it's just it's not happening today, then just pack it in. It's a long series, and we can make adjustments from here. But let's not let's not overexert ourselves and show a hand that we don't need to show in this game because we can use it, you know, a game or two down the road. Yeah, well, I think I mean I I believe that was the case in in game one. You know, it's a seven game series. LeBron's been there before, didn't want to do it, and I think in game three the Celtics should cut utterly overwhelmed and ran into a buzzsaw and I think you know it's a young team and they were reading their press clippings and you know uh they lost that focus you know kind of that you know play the next play hit singles not home runs you know that kind of stuff I think sure they kind of they lost that I think the Celtics and Cavs you know um or the Celtics especially I think the Cavs are can kind of do that the whole blowout thing um but I think the Celtics are more of a you know, like a boxer who, you know, holds you tight and is going to go the distance, isn't looking to knock you out in the first round, uh, is going to play tough, you know, just constantly be there, keep, uh, you know, jabbing and, 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 and working and, and, and keep it close. And then I think out west we see that, especially the Rockets, you know, the Warriors have shown just explosive offensive ability. And when their shots are falling and having, you know, Durant, who might be the best one-on-one offensive player coupled with, you know, the best shooter of all time, you know, and then, you know, Clay Thompson, who could be the best catch and shoot guy of all time. Um, you know, when they get going, they can just blow the doors off anybody. And then the Rockets, I think, have just decided to play a, a style with really high variance. Like, mm-hmm, totally. I think that they could they could win a series and never – there could never be an outcome, you know, within 15, 20 points because they're only hoping to hit – it's money ball, you know, four out of seven. That's the magic. You know, it ends up being like 58%. So if, if they can, 58% of the time, they can knock down shots, you know, hit 17 to 23 pointers in a game, uh, you know, they're they're going to win. And it's just a matter of, are they going to do it three out of seven times or four out of seven times? Yeah. And uh, I yeah. just think, you know, the layups and three pointers uh, has lent itself and a lot of this kind of iso ball has lent itself to feast or famine uh, outcomes. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Um, I think it, more so in the West that that's kind of. I mean, Cleveland Cleveland plays plays a similar strategy, and, and basically all teams do. But uh, especially with Houston, that that their whole their whole thing is variance, and so to expect anything but would be um, what would be would be kind of kind of absurd. So I I we're recording this twenty six minutes before game three or game four in Houston or in Golden mm-hmm. State and. I said earlier today at work that I think that this this game four is a pivotal point in not just this season or like this series, but this season and then going forward. Just because I think the the ripple effects of basketball are going to be heard uh, if if Golden State it can just finish out the series and 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 blow the doors off of Houston. Um, I just think that it's gonna it's gonna have a, a domino effect throughout the rest of the league. Am I am I am I off on that or or is there there's something, no, I, something I mean, heavier I think, to this game. No, I think I think you know the the Rockets have taken a very mathematical, um, you know, academic approach to the game of basketball, and I don't know if it's good for the game of basketball. I know I know what teams I prefer watching, and the Rockets are not super high on that list. But I do think that it would be, um, and again, I think you know they're they're going to give it a, a few more times, but it would kind of be a fairly early return that hey no matter how well you do in the regular season no how many you know 
how badly you beat up on lesser competition when it comes down to playing the sport of basketball, relying so heavily on isolation um, and so heavily on a handful of individuals and so heavily on the three-point shot um, is not the way when you're playing the cream of the crop. You know, it's it's great for piling up regular season numbers, mm-hmm. but you get down to it, I don't know. But again, I think that, you know, maybe the Rockets, there's a couple more, you know, iterations or, or I, I'm sure they'll keep tinkering, but, you know, it's... Um, it's the furthest they've gotten, and a lot of a lot of people are pretty high, you know, high on uh, this being the year. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I, I didn't even think of it. I was thinking of more of like, I if if Houston were to lose this series, I think that 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 might be end up being your your LeBron James destination this summer. That was kind of the direction I was going, but thinking about mm. it as kind of the the death of a of a style or or a serious shot to a, a camp that plays in a certain style. Um, is is another way of looking at it, but that's a podcast for a different day of of yeah. us <laughs> over over uh, over what that guy's gonna do. Let's let's go good cop bad cop here for the rest of the series. Let's assume right now that the Celtics lose this series, and now now the the decision making, um, you know, it was a great year. You you definitely over played over your head, given that uh, the two guys that you brought in this summer, the two All Star players, um, you know, played a combined sixty games. And all of those games came from came from just one of them. And, and given the circumstances that you lost Gordon Hayward and and you didn't end up with with Kyrie Irving in the playoffs, that making the conference finals, um, either taking Cleveland to six or seven games is a pretty good feat. So you, you have that to hang your head on. Uh, I think the only question that, that Boston has to deal with this offseason is is Marcus Smart. And we alluded to it earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a restricted free agent. He is he is an incredibly difficult you're just talking about like you know stylistic basketball and and you can't rely too much on the three and you know that marcus smart just burns stylistic basketball to the ground like like he just transcends everything you everything you you think about basketball of like who are the best players you know it's it's the guys that can do you know hit this shot and do that and then and then there's guys like marcus smart that are just the way they play is so unlike any other player just in the intensity that they play defense and go after loose balls and things like that all that being said he's, he's wonderful to watch and, and when he's rolling he's rolling how do you possibly quantify marcus smart's worth uh and, and is it a situation where he's worth much more to boston than he is to to any other team yeah i'm i mean that's kind of what i'm banking on so if like the idea i really think marcus smart is kind of the backbone of Defensive intensity, care about every play, dive on the ground, get a little chippy. Like, I think he's incredibly important to the team. And I think it's going to be really interesting in this offseason, probably one of the most interesting free agent cases I've seen, probably since the summer, like the Evan Turner summer that was just crazy, like, <laughs> you know, mega bucks everywhere, just people spraying money, like it's going out of style. I got a qualifying like, offer that summer. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, who who thinks, based on the recent history with Celtics going elsewhere and underperforming expectations. Sure. So kind of this, it's, I think it's starting to become understood that Brad Stevens is very good at utilizing and maximizing talent, right? Yep. And then couple that with um, some of Marcus Smart's off-the-court um, anger, 
behavior, personality issues. And again, I'm a guy I really like Marcus, and I think he's you know he's grown. He came from a really challenging background. Um, a lot of the stuff is to be expected. You know, that's it's uh, you know how he he was raised. You know, raised in a lot of ways. But as he deals with uh, that stuff, and then his inability to score, kind of as you were saying, like traditionally offensive offensively polished basketball he does not have mm-hmm. so it's taking such a serious gamble if you're going to say like i'm going to spend you know 14 to 16 million dollars for three to five or you know three to four years on this guy when he could just become lance stevenson you know yeah and whereas like it, with the celtics i think the celtics will go into the tax because they're sitting on such a money maker when boston celtics basketball is really you know primed and ready and championship caliber i mean those guys are going to come out on top no matter what um so i think they'd be willing to pay a little bit of a tax penalty but i don't think they're going to go crazy and match like an outrageous offer so i think if they can keep it to like you know 9 to 11 range i think they might match but if it gets into those higher numbers i think they're gonna have to let them go and then i would just be really curious to see the saga of marcus smart like you know maybe turns over a new leaf and he gets some of that off you know finds you know becomes a buddhist and becomes like really like zen and you know starts hitting his shot you know it, it, 38% of the time or something you you said it it's it's a fascinating case study both both in the the annals of nba history of of a player like this during this era like i think if Mar- marcus smart would be an incredible basketball player in like the late 70s early 80s like like in a much oh. much much more simpler day of basketball he would he would be the guy that you would want to build your team with um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that still applies. Like basketball still comes down to who wants it more um, intensity and, and um, you know, making winning plays and things like that. But you, it's just it's one of those things where if, if you take him out of that equation, I don't know if, if some what what happens to the rest of the team. Um, it's, it's a good situation for Boston to be in because there aren't a lot of teams that have money. And everything that you just said is true. What, like if, if you and I can can put the finger on that. Marcus Smart has incredible flaws, and and is is it not a guy that you want to, probably not a guy that you want to to you know, turn the entire keys of your team over to, uh, then the other teams that have cap room know that Atlanta, Sacramento, um, Indiana, teams like that, they they know that you can't all of a sudden just pay Marcus Smart and have him be your starting point guard. It doesn't work like that. To to all, all of a sudden now you're the Celtics. Um, that being said. I just said that team, Indiana, Indiana has a ton of money. Uh, they already have Lance Stevens on, on their team. Now you have a guy like smart, who's basically a better version of that or more, um, a, 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 a more winning yeah. version of that, I should say. Yeah. And all it would take is a team saying, Hey, we'll, we'll pay Marcus smart $15 million. And then that, that is it for Marcus smart in Boston. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, luckily, I think we got a guy like uh, Shemi Ojale who can pick up some of that slack. More of, more of a three and D, so maybe like a Jay Crowder meets Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe doesn't bring that kind of like crazy intensity. Um, just diving on the floor, but can provide some of that like rugged defensive ability. But I do think like something feels right about Marcus Smart being in an Indiana, you know, where they just love, like, I can only imagine how, how much the... The Hoosier State would love Marcus Smart. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it would be a thing. Like he wouldn't have to split the, or like you know, the the full the full ball carrying disp- responsibilities would obviously go to Oladipo before him. I think I think I might have talked myself into to Indiana shelling out for Marcus Smart this summer. Yeah, no, I 
I, there's something about that that kind of kind of rings true. But again, you just wonder, you know, the brain trust over there. Um, that would be an like talk about being a cool like a fly on the wall in that boardroom when they're talking about that. You know, the qualifying offer to Marcus Smart. Uh, you know, the pros and cons. That would be a, a heated debate, I'm sure. Oh yeah, it's it's incredibly fascinating because because you can you can talk yourself into any any way of. Uh, do we, you know, do we want to inject some of that winning culture into our team uh, and just have that carryover effect and assume it works like that, or is it we know that 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 we're that that's what that's what it sounds like on paper, but you know, if you just try and extrapolate what he is onto another team, you lose you lose all of it, and all of a sudden you're relying on him to take too many shots and all that. So it is uh, it is it is going to be very interesting to see what happens with with Marcus this summer. And by the way, the uh, the Pacers have a club option on what they want to do with with Lance Stevenson this summer, so they could save themselves four million, drop him, and then and then go after go after Smart. Yeah, that'll be like their Marcus Smart like discount coupon. Exactly. Yeah, yeah for real. Then... Yeah, twenty five percent off Marcus Smart. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, if Sam and I are reporting it first, Marcus Smart to uh, to Indiana, well, well before they've even talked about <laughs> it, but. Um, I, yeah, I think I think that that's that's where we're headed. Is is obviously Boston would love to keep him if if the price is right, but at a certain point you just gotta gotta let that go. So uh, stay tuned on that. Do you? And so it sounded like from everything you were saying before that there's no need for for another you know major move this summer. The the you know trade Hayward, trade Irving type type move that would really launch his team into the stratosphere because you can just kind of let development take take care of your like season to season. Uh, you know, it, it, that that is kind of like the acquisition this summer is is um, you know the development of Tatum, Brown, Rozier, uh, and then also the the reacquisition of Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. Yeah, that's how I'm feeling. I think there will be some evaluation of like uh, Marcus Morris again. We got him on a really team friendly contract, but you just worry about you know if all of a sudden that that wing spot gets congested. Um, you know how he'll handle it just as a pretty volatile personality mm. but i definitely want to keep him in the fold kind of as an insurance policy uh to start the season um and then aaron baines like are we just going to start having this kind of revolving door of like backup centers or you know he started most of the season but kind of like a tough rugged i'd say you know not really a traditional rim protector um but you know some guys that are willing to come to Boston to take a discount because they know that the culture's so solid. And a guy like Aaron Baines, like Aaron Baines, can turn around and after this one-year deal, I mean, he could probably parlay this into, you know, eight to ten million dollars a year because he's sure. you know, played so well. He's kind of expanded his game. We've allowed him to shoot three pointers. Um, and then don't. I'd, and then the one guy I'd want to include is Daniel Tice, who's done such a nice job. He's kind of a rim-running. Um, aggressive guy with I think an offensive ceiling as a little bit of a shooter and a little bit of like an Al Horford light you know mm-hmm. a guy that can play a little bit of five out um but really defends well positionally and is a little more explosive than a guy like Aaron Baines so um he, he's gonna be a fun guy to watch I think he'd be great in this Cavalier series yeah what they do with Baines is gonna tell you a lot about what their plans are going forward because if, if they if they re-sign Baines or or flip him into a different version of Baines where it's a traditional center um, although they've they've certainly made 
Bane's play unconventionally. Um, the the launch of the the catapult three point shot has has been fascinating to watch this this, this playoffs. But <laughs> no style points awarded, but not none at all. It, it's crazy from the corner. It's like okay, he's either gonna drill this or he's hitting the shot clock. It's there, and there's no in between yeah. um, w- with him. But anyway, so if if they if they flip Bane's into another, um, you know, just just your your traditional big then you know that that's kind of still something that they value. But if, if they don't and they let him walk and you keep Horford and Tice as your bigs and, you know, and Morris and, um, and you know, just have the, the, the kind of stash of wings that they have, that would certainly go a long way of telling you um, how, the, how they want to play going forward. But I think, I think it's still, in today's NBA, still worth having a guy like Baines on your roster um, for, for the matchup against teams that, that, that have... That, that that lean lean heavier and lean lean taller on on the on the front end. So we'll see about that. Um, I'm with you on development because I think that there's there's just too much in the tank to to see what goes there. Um, let's let's now flip it and say okay, the they they win this three game series two to one. Whether it's in six or in seven, they beat Cleveland. Um, now they are playing probably Golden State, potentially Houston if it happens. You know great but i'm just gonna go with with conventional wisdom here and say that they're playing golden state i wanted to bring something up um about how how boston had considered golden state just two two summers ago and so as the story goes jay crowder isaiah thomas kelly olenic and brad stevens and tom brady and like (laughs) wally the green monster go go and see uh, meet up with Kevin Durant two summers ago to uh, to pitch him on joining the Celtics. Obviously, we know what Durant ends up doing. He joins Golden State. And then about a month later or so, uh, you have Jay Crowder talking at the Naismith uh, Hall of Fame in, in Springfield. And he says, quote, about about that uh, about that interaction with Durant, he says, quote, we were the only team in the NBA to beat both Cleveland and Golden State on their home court. So this would have been 20... 20- 16 is the season that he's referring to. Um, this is the the season. This is the off season after LeBron, um, the Cavs beat the beat the Warriors in the finals. The only team in the NBA, the Boston Celtics. We told him that we played him clips from both games and told him basically the scouting report of how we guarded Steph and Clay, our game plan. Basically, that's what made me mad. We we blanking told him everything we do to beat these guys and we beat them and he went and joined them. I mean that's part of the process, but I did not think he would go to those two teams. I felt like afterward I was talking to Isaiah, like maybe after you sit back, you shouldn't have told him everything, but who the who the fuck thought he was going to Golden State realistically? It was a slap in the face for us, basically. So <laughs> the uh, great, great outburst from, from Jay Crowder, and I'm sure that there was a Celtics media staffer right behind him saying, no, shut up, shut up, shut up. Uh, yeah. But it didn't it didn't translate, and he went on. Um that that was fascinating to me because Golden or Boston at that point was a much scrappier team, um, not as talented as they are now in terms of just raw basketball ability, but they 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 did they did they beat Cleveland and Golden State in Cleveland and Golden State. Um, they seemed to play to get really up for those games, and that's when the Cleveland Boston started to look like they could be an elite team in the league. And I'm wondering. Whatever formula that was, and I think you and I both have a have a decent idea of what what type of, of style that is t- to beat Golden State back then. Does that even apply anymore now that you you throw Golden State or throw Kevin Durant on the Golden State? Uh, 
I mean, that is, that's just like a weird story on so many levels. Like to think that Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, Kelly Olenek were like <laughs> the know. representatives of a Boston team. I and, know. you know, and it's just kind of like, you know, pretty like average looking guy, like, you know, saying like, oh, well, this like supermodel should have like dated me. Like, yeah. Know, when, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, but, no, I, I, uh, I mean, it kind of blows my mind. I mean, you know, defensive intensity, kind of suffocating wings, not letting shooters get off. Um, and again, that was just such a different Warriors team because just to add, you know, again, all the ball, ball movement, back screens, um, you, you know, kind of the, the beautiful style of basketball they play. But now all of a sudden it's like, oh, late shot clock situation. I'm just going to get it to the seven footer who can, you know, uh, doesn't seem to be affected by any sort of uh, contesting of his shot. Um, you know, so you add, add, add that as kind of the escape um, Mm-hmm. Option and it's just like, what in the world? Like it, it, they're wildly good. So I don't know. I mean, it is uh, definitely definitely a blast from the past. And I think some of that. I do think the Celtics actually, you know, just because they do play a little more of a freewheeling, um, less ISO based system in Golden State, it it might you know help. I think the Celtics kind of switching style um, would be pretty good on that. But again, it's just you saw what like Steph Curry did two nights ago, and it's just like he still got it. And then you got Kevin Durant, who's just regularly pulling, you know, thirty-five to forty-point games off, like like effortlessly, like we we're saying LeBron's doing. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I don't know if anybody's got a formula for those guys. Dur- Durant is like a closeout buster. Like like you you could you could you know he's open in the corner and you close out perfectly. And you know you, you get you're in perfect position, and you put your hand up and you jump with him, and then he just keeps going, and he can still get his shot off with with a clean look because of his height. Um, mm. It's it, he, I mean he's he's just he's just a cheat code, and and I think thinking back to how that Boston team used to be constructed, Avery Bradley was there, Marcus Smart was there, Isaiah. I mean it's crazy to think that they had a defensive formula for beating Golden State with Isaiah Thomas on the floor. Um, that that is that is something to behold to, to know that they could pull that off. Um, but you know Bradley and and Smart combined allowed them to stay with those guards and to really pressure them um, as they went across the court. Now that I mean, obviously the trade of Avery Bradley kind of shows you going in a different direction when you when you upgrade him for or you downgrade his on-ball defense against guards for a, a switchable wing. Um, you know, Granite Morris provides you a little bit more, more offense. It, it just kind of I, I'm wondering if that Avery Bradley trade was kind of a, a not that everything you do is is based off of what Golden State's doing, but you don't necessarily need the the hounding defense guard as much as you do that switchy wing. Um, in, in today's league, if you're going to be playing with the big boys of of Cleveland and Golden State, yeah, no, I think I think that that's definitely recognizing like as you know stockpiling as many you know six six to six nine guys that can move their feet and um you know play you know anywhere between the two two and four kind of and then you know two and five when you go small. Um, so I think that is you know definitely a move that the Celtics kind of took from the Warriors in a lot of way when they're playing that, uh, you know, Draymond at the five, uh, Durant, Iguodala, um, Thompson. And then obviously, you know, you, you still got um, Stefan there, who's an active defender, but, you know, uh, just his physical gifts don't allow him to be elite. Mm-hmm. But, 
Yeah, no, I think I think the the length is has been been huge now, and, and getting some some more like kind of two way players. Um, but I, I just don't know what you do with Durant because even on our roster, that's gotten so much more athletic. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking down the list because even Jalen is is looks significantly smaller than LeBron, and LeBron, you know, is three to four inches shorter than Durant. Yeah. So again, maybe you know, being able to body him a little more, they're you know they're physically different players, but um, you know that that would be a handful. That would go down as uh, you know, and again, I'm getting in that territory of looking ahead, which I don't like to do. But I mean, if the Celtics were somehow able to come up with something, that would be uh, that would that would be historical. Yeah, that w- that would be a a great moment for for Brad Stevens to to you know see have his have his matchup um, kind of brain working for, for something like that. So if it does get there, um, no matter what the sell, even if they lost in four, I'd be very curious to see, um, mm. see at least how they try to defend that team. Because uh, in, in my opinion, what, what, whatever Brad Stevens is, is doing is probably is a good sign for, for what, um, you know, decent to, to great strategy uh, is in the league. So, We'll see either way uh, with the Celtics team what they end, what what their fate is whether they're immediately you know next week talking about what to do with Marcus Smart or whether they're talking about how to match up with Kevin Durant. Um, either way, a successful season and something that that kind of is some good perspective for for Celtics fans is is since I've moved uh, out out east just just kind of how these Nets picks um, that they got from the Durant or the the Garnett and Pierce trade how these Nets picks have been. Uh, discussed and I remember going to the grocery store in Fall River and I was listening to Sports Talk Radio and they were talking about how Isaiah Thomas is just not he's just not a scorer he's not he's not a prime time he's not a fourth quarter scorer this was 2016 um, mm-hmm. which he dispelled that narrative the following year and so the idea was you know you got to trade the Nets pick and Isaiah for for a Paul George type or a um, you know a, a Kawhi Leonard type or something like that. Um, and then, you know, they, they don't, and Isaiah Thomas becomes that fourth quarter scorer and just, just kind of how the, how those picks have been talked about from, you know, they're just kind of these, these ambiguous things that were attached to certain players. Uh, what was your favorite rumor of like Nets pick plus this to get why is going to put the Celtics over that ultimately they didn't do? Well, I think the most kind of tantalizing player and again kind of going back to those switchable wings and two-way players and a guy that I I like kind of his blue collar ethic is uh Jimmy Butler so Jimmy Butler was gotten uh by the Timberwolves last year right before the draft for Chris Dunn who again the the Timberwolves kind of soured on it like a year after he was the third overall pick uh Zach Levine coming off of a um, ACL surgery and then seventh pick that turned into uh, Lori Markinen. And again, the Bulls gave Jimmy Butler, in addition, it was a pick swap. So they gave up the uh, the 16th pick. Yeah, Justin Patton, I think. Yeah, which, yeah, which was kind of a bizarre move. A lot of people were questioning that. But it, it was, so I don't know exactly what the Celtics would have had to package for that, but we could have, we could have matched that easily because we had the third pick that became Jason Tatum. And then any one of, you know, you'd think uh, Avery Bradley, like, you know, Tom Thibodeau, uh, or, or, well, the Timberwolves wouldn't have been involved at that point. But, um, you know, whoever, Fred Hoiberg or, you know, there was a, there was a bunch of guys, mm-hmm. assets on, on the roster. Um, I don't know if, you know, uh, Jay Crowder at that point, we still had him under contract or, yep. you know, who it would have been. Um, but Jimmy Butler is a guy that I just, 
really, really enjoy watching play. And again, he's a guy that you could kind of pack at that point. You know, it would be uh, Jimmy Butler, uh, Jalen uh, Brown. Um, and it wouldn't have precluded. We still would have had some money um, heading into uh, last offseason as well. Again, we, you know, we get kind of funny with the timeline because then, you know, that was before we got Kyrie. And yep. and knows how in that hypothetical universe uh, things play out. But uh, I just think Jimmy Butler is an excellent player and a, and a two-way player, you know. Um, yeah, I but, think that's something we, we we miss out on. You know, it's still offense dominates and good offense beats or great offense beats good defense for sure. But sometimes, you know, what I think gets lost in the, you know, James Harden as a unanimous pick for MVP or things like that is, you know, it's still so important to have guys that bring it on both ends of the court. Yeah, but Butler would have been – Butler does a lot of the things that Marcus Smart does that just no one else in the league, you know, challenges challenges inbounds passes and things like that, that he's, he just has that that gritty play aspect to him with with a well-developed offensive game. I think he would have fit probably better that, than, than George or – Blake Griffin at the time, or or Drummond, or any of the guys that were that were tied to the Celtics, um, however however briefly and however legitimately from from those Nets pick trade days, uh, any of those guys, just just say it was it was the exact same package that you used to go get Kyrie Irving, any of those guys, whether it's George Butler, less so Griffin or Drummond, but um, would you, would you take for what the Celtics got in in Kyrie Irving? I'm gonna have to say just aesthetically, just because Kyrie Irving when he's on, I mean he is, he's a magician. He's, he's ma- fun to watch. So he's I was about to say point, magical, just, and then you said that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, so I got you know I I appreciate that, and now it's just a matter of, uh, it'll be interesting to see because Kyrie's numbers are definitely going to take a dip with with everybody the development of uh, Jalen and Jason and Gordon coming back, and you know Kyrie is going to be. Uh, he's not he's not going to be the lead singer for long you know he's he's one of he's he's uh he's part of a band mm-hmm. uh, so let's see if that if he's able to handle that i really hope he will be able to but i mean the things that he can do and just talking about uh you know great offense beating good defense like there are times when he just makes impossible shots regularly and effortlessly that was i think the big difference between him and isaiah thomas is isaiah thomas was always working 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 exactly Kyrie kind of do the same thing and it doesn't even look like he's breaking a sweat mm-hmm. yeah there, there was a story that came out the other day of, of i think uh Kyrie irving had i i think the i want to say the number is 10 but it sounds like eight is more realistic he had eight assists in a quarter just and just just because someone said that he couldn't do it um <laughs> And I, that's that's something where I think if if you know if Isaiah Thomas had eight assists in a quarter, it would be this you know very contrived attempt to to do it, um, and he probably you know might not even have been able to get there. But with you know Irving just has these gifts that that, that not many humans on the planet have. Um, just, yeah, tons of perspective with the Celtics. Uh, you know if if this season comes crashing down in in these next couple of weeks, just the idea that that Jalen Brown and or or Jason Tatum will be coming off the bench next season is is just just terrifying and uh something something that that um you know probably would not have happened if if at any point the celtics had had mortgaged one of those picks to to not pick up uh tatum or brown so it's 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 definitely a a um an upward trajectory no matter how you how you look at it with with the celtics yeah i mean they're in a position next year to have a you know with Kyrie gordon and uh al horford you know be in a position to never play a meaningful minute without an all-star caliber player on the floor. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, which is something that, that Houston really leveraged this season um, with with acquiring Paul and, and especially having having an all star ball handler on the floor um, is something. Mm-hmm. And it, we'll see how they kind of use Hayward of of will he kind of steer the ship and and Rozier is a complimentary piece or is he just an off the ball player? So something that we didn't get to see uh, this season that that will you know every every even last year's this last year to this year you know nine new Celtics or whatever it was. Um, I still feel like the, this ne- next upcoming team is still going to, even though the personnel is the exact same or almost the exact same, is going to be wildly different stylistically than this team. For sure, for sure. Yeah, we will uh, obviously see how that goes um, as the uh, as you know we, we round into next season. Um, that's about it for us. I don't want to get too much into the the uh, the prediction game because we'll be we'll be wrong within a matter of hours. So so no need to do that. Um, no, so. <laughs> we got to watch this this Western Conference game here. Exactly. Let's get out of here. All right, Sam. Thanks for doing this. All right. Take care, Brandon. Yeah. Take it easy.